The Old Testament lesson this morning is from the book of Isaiah, the 35th chapter. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall bloom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Word of God, word of life. is from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Word of God, word of life.
The question was, what is the most difficult thing about the weeks leading up to Christmas for you? A few of us from the Mount Olivet Care Team began to answer honestly, one by one, and soon it became clear that this Advent time of preparing for Christmas doesn't always look or feel like a Norman Rockwell painting. See, this season has a way of amplifying grief and loss. It reminds us, reminds us of how much the patterns of our lives have changed over the years, how the little people in our lives have grown up and started their own traditions. In this season, we face the perennial question of how much of the cultural Christmas machine we should engage. How many presents do we buy at what value and for whom? What gatherings do we host or attend? Which picture will make the most beautiful Christmas card? As one person noted, so much of what we do to prepare for Christmas really has nothing to do with the meaning of Christmas at all. And so I suspect that when you came to church this, this morning, some of you, like me, are either caught up in or trying to avoid the clamor of this time of year. And perhaps this is why we need this Advent concert on this very Sunday. We need the warmth of the cello, the bursting into life of the violin and flute and drums. We need the grounding of the guitars, the comfort of the piano, keyboard, and organ. We need the handbells to ring. And we need to hear the voices of people we know and love singing. We need the music of Advent because it has its way of lifting us up and out of a cultural Christmas and pointing us in the direction of the true Messiah who has come who is already here and who will come again to be among us. Our reading from Luke this morning, as some of you might know, is also a song. It's Mary's song, a song she sings while visiting her cousin Elizabeth and sharing the big news that she is with child. Mary sometimes gets relegated into the margins and so I guess we could call this her big solo as we approach the narrative of Jesus' birth. She's no diva singing at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York City, though. She has no grand lineage of accomplishments or accolades to lay before us before she sings. She is a pregnant teenage girl betrothed to a carpenter from a rural village called Nazareth. To the world at the time, she was a nobody from an unimportant place. Worse yet, she was a nobody who was unwed and pregnant, a nobody who, because of stigma, would risk losing her fiancé, Joseph. 
And yet, it is out of this place of vulnerability that Mary sings her song of praise. Her words cut through the din and the clamor of the Christmas machine that does everything it can to try and pull us away from the real song we should be singing. Because when Mary sings, the Spirit of God exhales into the world. Her song is not just any song of praise. In the words of mystic Kiara Lubish, in Mary's song we find God's highest and most irresistible revolution. We get closer to the true meaning of Christmas, don't we? Nestled in this short verse that turns everything we think we know on its head. Sometimes we need to be turned upside down on our heads. When my kids were little and I needed to do something to change the energy in the room, sometimes I would pick one of them up and hang them upside down in a playful way. And it worked most of the time. Are you willing to be hung upside down? If so, listen to Mary's song. Listen for how this unwed pregnant teenager understands that the birth of God into the world is more likely to take place in a soup kitchen in Ukraine or in a refugee camp somewhere in Syria or in a tent city by the Greenway than it is to take place in the halls of power. Listen to Mary's song, especially if you are filled with questions and doubt about God's call upon your life, because Mary was uncertain too, and saw that, uncertainty, saw that uncertainty as all the more reason to plant herself firmly into the soil of possibility, and to proclaim as present fact all that God has promised to do, to bring down the powerful from their thrones and to lift up the lowly. And finally, listen to Mary's song, for it is Mary who, despite her strength of faith and courage, knows that participating in God's work in the world will leave her deeply vulnerable at times. See, even as she lovingly nurtured the Christ child in her womb, Mary had a deep sense that her child would be despised by the world, so much so that she would witness his death on the cross. And yet, as Jesus himself would say about Mary, my mother is one who hears the word of God and does it. This might not be a particularly Lutheran thing to say, but as we gather together on the third week of Advent, spun out by the Christmas machine, I think we all need Mary. In a minute, a quartet will sing Mary's song, The Magnificat. If you too are feeling vulnerable, listen for Mary's vulnerability if you too are lamenting a world where the poor and weak are oppressed, 
Listen for Mary's certainty about the reversal of fortunes that God has promised. Listen to Mary's song and wonder what mothering and birthing the Holy Spirit calls you to in this season. As we approach Christmas, thanks be to God for Mary, the mother and bearer of our Lord. Amen.